All right, welcome tonight. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue through the disciplines of grace. And I thought I heard music, but I don't, sorry. It's just, I have music in my heart, and it's just coming out through my ears. Anyway, but um, we're going to continue with the disciplines of grace, how that there's grace in the Ten Commandments. You know, last week we looked at how it all began to start in the disciplines of grace. So let's look in chapter 20 of Exodus. We're going to look at verse 2 to begin to kind of remember from last week. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And we remember this is where the grace started. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them out of Egypt. They didn't deserve that. He brought them to the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea. He protected them against even Pharaoh and his armies coming after them. And they were going to kill them and destroy them. And God protected them. And he led them. And he's led them all the way to this point. And it's interesting as we get into this tonight that understanding they have seen the hand of God. Fire, cloud leading them, protecting them when they couldn't protect themselves. All of these things that they have done. And when we look at the commandment tonight, we're going to see grace in it. But also we're going to see a challenge of what happens in our life about idolatry. So let's look at this commandment and begin in verse 4. It says, so you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Yours may say graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. When we look at this, God had just finished speaking in Exodus. Flip over to verse 18. When God finishes speaking. So he does these ten commandments and then he finishes speaking. <clears throat> and then this is what happens in verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. So can you imagine what they just witnessed? I can't even imagine being there and seeing all this that just transpired. Seeing that God speaking to them. They hear this voice. They see the mountain shaking. They see this. And they stood afar off. I would have probably been running. Okay? But they stood afar off. And then it goes on and it says this in verse 19. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And this is true with us today. We get these commandments. We get these teachings of even the law so that we'll know not to sin. Verse 21, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So then the Lord said to Moses, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, you you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. Here he goes again with what we're getting ready to look tonight about the carved image or the idols. And so as God speaks to Moses, he says, I want you to tell him again, no idols. 
Isn't it interesting? He says it in the Ten Commandments, number two. Then he turns around and says it again at the end. It says, again, no idols. We're going to see what they did. And so then they go on, and as God emphasizes this, no idols. Then we know in the next two chapters that God begins to tell uh, Moses all the things, civil laws they're going to do, the social laws and all that they're going to take care of. And then look over in chapter 24. Flip over to chapter 24 real quick. So now they have these specific, detailed social and civil laws. And then in chapter 24, verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 8 says this. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel to remember this occasion. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took the blood and put it in the basins. And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, which was all the readings or writings that he had put down, and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, And said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all those words. I just wanted to read this to show you how gross it probably was. Can you imagine all the blood and they're sprinkling it all over the people? And if you were a part of this and all of a sudden you're walking out, you've got blood all over you. There's blood on the altar. There's blood on the book. And the people said, we will be obedient. We will do everything that the Lord has said we should do. Now flip over to chapter 32 of Exodus. Chapter 32 of Exodus. Then we'll get back to 20 in just a moment. So then Moses at this time, he goes back up on the mountain and he speaks with the Lord. And, and you think about what a day this had been for the people of Israel. They had heard from God. They had seen all of this that's taking place. And they worshipped him. And they made a sacrifice to him. They were covered with the blood, if you want to say, as they were sprinkled with it. And we could say the same about us. We're covered with the blood of Christ. And here they are. Here they are at this monumental time. And it is a great time for them. And let's see what happens in verse 1 of chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, he was there for 40 days. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Listen to how quickly this changed. This is all setting up for what we're going to look at tonight. Forty days from whence they had seen this miracle. They had heard from God. They had seen the thunderings, the lightnings, the cloud. They had had the testimony. They had seen the blood sacrifice. They had seen the blood sprinkled. And they said, we will be obedient to whatever you tell us to do. And then in 40 days later, they recognized. And remember when we said in verse 2 of Exodus 20, that I led you, God said, out of Egypt, out of bondage. 
Remember that? I led you out of that. Let's look at this verse again, verse 32, or chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, what they'd just been told twice not to do. Come, make us gods that, we sh- that shall go before us, as God had been doing. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt... They already forgot what God had said. We don't know what happened to the guy who led us. So Aaron, Moses' brother, make us a golden image. Make us an idol. Make us something that we can, that can go before us, that can lead us. And we think, how idiotic of a people. If I was one of those, I would have stood up in the crowd of the millions and said... Not for me. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We just saw him. We'd have all done the same thing. Forty days from witnessing what they just saw to where their hearts were already turned. And they'd forgotten God. And they looked at Moses. Then it goes on. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and he fashioned it with an engraved tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So so he's thinking he made an image as we're going to look at in just a moment. He said, this is an image of your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And then we know from the rest of the story that God gets upset with them. But here they go. Now they're bringing offerings and sacrifices to this idol, to this carved image, this graven image that they had made. So as we look tonight, go back to Exodus chapter 20. Back to Exodus chapter 20. And as we start tonight looking at this second commandment, we'll find Exodus 20. We Christians are just like the nation of Israel. We've been brought out of bondage. We're his people And yet we make idols and worship them in our lives, forgetting God. And this commandment is different from the first. The first one that we looked at last week forbids existence of other gods. There shall be no other gods before me. The second one forbids the making of other gods. It's different. See, we can believe that there's no other gods I'm going to put before him. But the making of other gods is what this one talks about. And as we'll see the grace if we obey, and it will assure that a perpetual stream of grace in our lives if we do these things that he commands us to do. So now let's look, and on your paper, we're going to look at these commandments, and we'll look at these gracious truths about this commandment. The first is the gracious prohibition. The gracious prohibition, it's found in verses 4 and 5a. The gracious prohibition. And as we read it, then I'll, I'll talk about it. 
Verse 4, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. So the prohibition is that you shall not make for yourselves any idol in the form of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, or the waters below. This does not, now some people believe this is talking about you can't make any kind of sculpture of any kind of living thing. And that's not true. This does not forbid the sculptures or paintings of an image of living things as some might believe. Even in Solomon's temple, there were images of lions and bulls and different things like that that were made. But it is forbidden to make figures or objects that are representative of God as objects or aids to worship. We're going to get into this. And so many times in our culture, people make images of God, even Christ, and they use it to worship. And that's what it's called against. That is the highest created. Many times we make it, we'd make a, including a representation of man. We would put Jesus as a man, and he was a man. Because that's the highest created thing we can think of. But really, that limits who God really is, as we're going to see in just a moment. And even though, even though he was man and remains man, these pictures and images are made after the likeness of man, not God. So you think about some of these images and things that are made. They're made in the likeness of man, not in the likeness of God. And we are not to worship these. Does this mean that we do not use figures or pictures of Jesus in teaching? And no, it doesn't mean that. We can use that. But it's not to be used in a public or private worship. And that's where we so many times fall and people do that. Once here's some reasons why it is prohibited is because it is limiting in Deuteronomy 4, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15. It's limiting. So we look over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verses 15 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse beginning of verse 15. It says, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form... When the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. So he goes, you do not know, you have not seen a form of me. You do not know who I am. Do not make any kind of image of me, male or even female. And so as we know this, we don't even know what God looks like. God is limitless. So when we make an image, we limit God and deny that he is God. Because we make him limited to man or to this image. Next, we know that. It is obscuring. Idols are made to reveal objects of God. They end up hiding the real God. Aaron probably thought that this bull, this calf that they were making, was kind of an attribute of God. He's strong. He's all of these things. He led us out of Egypt. He, he is that strong bull that leads us. But a bull doesn't reveal God's moral excellence, gentleness, and loving grace. 
Our tendency is to become like the God we worship. And we think about this in so many times when someone makes an image of a God they worship or an idol. And they tend to want to be like whatever is created. Whatever they look at. Whatever they make as their idol. And that's what our tendency is to become like the God we worship. So what does that mean in that statement? We need to become like the God we worship. But the problem is, we're going to look at in a moment, we don't know that God. So let's go on. Not only does it, does it limit, does it obscure, but it also localizes. And I got, to, I got to see this when I was in Central America, and you see this all around the world. That when I was in Central America, and I've been there in different countries, Guatemala, Honduras, even uh, Costa Rica and places like that. And, and you see these people come to these temples, if you want to say, these these big churches, and there's an idol at the front they're going to get to. And they come in, and I've watched them get on their knees, and they crawl all the way to that idol. They may be bleeding when they get there. And you've seen this. It happens in the Philippines. It happens all around the world. And what happens is what that does is it localizes God to that place because they're crawling in there to that place because that's where God is at. He's in that idol. And that's not true. That's not who God is. And so it also localizes, idols do. Next, it is controlling. It's controlling that God is bound in a plaster or wax or painting. And in a sense, we own God because I have this image of him right here in my hand. I have this image of him on my wall. And so therefore, I own him and I control him and I can have him Bless me to do whatever I want him to do for me. And that's heresy. And then last, it's subtracting. It's subtracting. They give us nothing. They keep us from knowing who God really is through Jesus Christ and his word. So when we think about an idol that so many other people have and they worship, they have this idol made of man's hands, man-made, and they worship it. And what it does is it subtracts from who God really is. So the second of the gracious part of this is the gracious depth. The gracious depth. And so we look at the made image and we say, we don't have those. Probably everyone in here would say, I don't have one of those graved images you were talking about. Praise the Lord. If you do, we need to talk. Okay, but... We would say, checked off that box, I'm good. This one's not going to be as fun. So let's look in verse 4 and 5 again. You should not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hurt who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The depth of this commandment is that not all of this, what it's talking about, is man-made. But this means also that the images we dream about or dream up of who God is can be an idol. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Our minds can be a massive breach to this commandment. So I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. I just want you to think. Finish this phrase. 
I like to think of God as, and you fill in the blank. Many times we might say a loving father, forgiving, merciful, gracious, savior. We have all of these that we come into. And truth is, God is all of those. But one of the things that we struggle with is these are coupled with a denial of something else that the scripture teaches about. For instance, he's a judge. He's righteous. He's holy. He hates sin. See, when we we stop in our mind and we begin to have this image in our mind of who God is, and we make this image of our mind in who we want God to be, and some of these things he is. Don't get me wrong. He is merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. He's a savior. He's loving. He's all of these things. And we get in our head that that's who God is. And we fail to recognize. And what it does, it limits us from getting to really know who God really is. And some of our mind can't even comprehend how he can be one who disciplines, one who judges, one who makes people go to hell, but yet he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful. And our mind can't even comprehend sometimes both of those. And many of those, we don't want to focus on those parts of who God is. Those are not fun. I don't like it. <clears throat> but also know this, <clears throat> excuse me, that when I think about the Lord disciplines those who he loves... I like it to be God is merciful to those he loves. Because then I don't get disciplined. You know, my kids always wanted me to show mercy. I did a thing one time with with my basketball team, and they had, um, I was going to teach them about mercy and grace, and I was teaching them about mercy, since we're talking about that right here. And so at the end of practice, they'd been running these suicides. You may not know what that is on a basketball court. They run to the free throw line and back. Half court, back, the other free throw line and back, half court, or free, all the way down the end of the court and back. So I told him, I got him up there, and we're going to end practice, and I picked out this kid who was, could not make a free throw if he wanted to. And now he's tired because they've been running. And so I pull him up there, and I said, all right, I'm not going to call his name in case one of you know him, but you probably wouldn't. But anyway, I said, blankety blank, or blank. I didn't call him blankety blank. I said blank. <laughs> That's always a cuss word. I didn't call him that, Okay. <laughs> Blank, blank, just blank, okay? No blankety, just blank, okay? Blank, I want you to get up and shoot free throws. If you make two, practice is over. If you miss two, ten more suicides. If you miss one, five more suicides. Here's the ball. I mean, those kids got religious. They were praying, you know what I mean? They're begging him. He's up there, he's sweating pressure. He looks, air ball. I went, God is good. So, one more. I said, that's five. This one's for five more. He gets up there. He's shaking. It it can't even bounce to the rim. You know, it's rolling down through there. Everybody on the line. And so, I said, all right, you guys ready? Ten suicides. And one of them goes, can I make my wheel, coach? You know what I mean? And I said, nope, you're going to run. I got ready to blow the whistle, and I went, hang on a second. I'm going to teach you a word tonight. It's called mercy. You don't get what you deserve. And they were going, what's that? And so I explained it to them. Practice was over. Well, the next time I did the same thing, they went, can we do that mercy thing again? You know what I mean? We kind of like the mercy thing. And that's the way we are. I love the mercy thing. 
But when I really stop and think that God is righteous, he's holy, he's just, he's a judge, he hates sin. I don't like those. But see, he's all of those. And so many times for us to truly get to know him, we have to understand that. And we have to have a willingness to balance these truths. John 1, verse 29, you have to turn there. It says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We like that lamb. Then Revelation 5, or 6, 16 and 17. Fall on us and hide from us the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath will, has come. And who is able to stand? We don't like that lamb. It's the same lamb. We know in, there is not only his word, how we hear about what God, who God is, but also the source of God is to know God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. John 1, 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father... He has declared him. John 14, 9. Anyone, or that was 118, sorry. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so we, we understand this commandment when we keep the negative, which is you cleanse and protect your soul of every wrong thought of God. And then when you reflect on the positive, you fill your soul with the knowledge of God through his word and his son. And so as I think about the negative of this, that I'm to keep all the idols out of my life, and I'm to do that. But here's what's even better than that, is when I turn around, and I get into God's word, and I read God's word of who God is. I look at Jesus Christ and his life, and I can know who God is, because that is God in the flesh. And then I can truly know who God is. Now next, the gracious warning. The gracious warning. Go back to Exodus chapter 20, the gracious warning, chapter 20, verse 5, the second part of it. The gracious warning. It says, I, the Lord, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, jealous is a bad word. But he says, I'm a jealous God. And when we think about this, this may not set well with us. How can he be jealous? In some ways, I think that word we can look at even as zealous, if we want to use that, may fit better, maybe, in some ways. He's zealous for his people to live in obedience, for his people to remain pure and devoted to him. His zeal will carry him to great extremes to keep us faithful. He will discipline us, which is the opposite of grace and mercy. God says, visiting the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. This idolatry or perception of God will carry on for generations. And God simply lets the mindset of, of God go as idolaters on through the chain of generations. But also, he shows great mercy and deliverance to some of those whose fathers had those idols in their mind, had these false images of God. 
And so with that, we can rejoice in that mercy. But also I want you to understand that God's zeal is for us to live a holy, righteous life. And sometimes we don't get that. And we don't realize that what keeps us from doing that is because in our minds, not because we have some graven image, but we have this image in our mind that God is only good. He's a God of grace. And I don't have to repent. I don't have to live a life obedient to him. I don't have to study his word. I don't have to serve. I don't have to do all those things because God is gracious. And we miss that he's righteous, holy, as I spoke about. And it limits us in being who God wants us to be. And sometimes he will discipline us in those times. And we get to see, I've seen in my life, you've probably seen in yours, the disciplinarian God, that side. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't like it. And you know what? When I disciplined my kids, they didn't like it. But it's because I loved them. And here's the thing, they got to see all of dad. They got to see the love. They got to see the disciplinarian. They got to see this side of him, that side. Some we won't talk about that I hope they never bring up. But some of those sides that are not like God. But so we know that this can happen to us. Then the last one, the gracious promise. The gracious promise. But showing love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. So let's look in verse Six, five and six, verse six. God says, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I like the math. To put the image in your mind, four. Over here, obedient, thousands. And we stop and think about that, the blessings of God that can come. And judgment is God's strange work, whereas grace is his natural work. God is slow to anger, but when he is angry, his anger burns for a minute. His loving kindness is for a lifetime and permanent. And I think about that, and I think about even in the passion, we're not going to look there, that, well, we will. Flip over. Let's go ahead and flip over. Psalm 103. It explains all of this. 103rd Psalm. 103rd Psalm. As we see the promise here. 103rd Psalm. We'll begin in verse 6. David speaking here. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Every one of us have verse 12 probably marked in our Bible. He, as far as the east is from the west, as far as he, he, so far as he removes our transgressions from us. But as we looked up and we look at the anger that sin causes him, but yet he doesn't hold it against us forever. He's merciful. 
And that's the grace in this that we can look at. The blessing of those who reject idolatrous images, both material and mental, will be blessed. To those who strive to know God through both his written word, the Bible, and the ultimate word, his son, Jesus Christ, will be blessed. His divine inclination to bless those to the thousandth generation, this is truly grace. And we recognize that when we take these idols, these images out of our head to limit who God is. But we study to try to really know who God is. And when we study God's word and we look in depth at that and you look in depth at even the life of Christ, that I hope it transforms your thinking into not being deceived. And there are a lot of pastors, churches today that only preach about how good God is and that every blessing will come to you. You don't have to change anything. You can live however you want to. God is, loves you. He's all love and he is love. But there's a whole nother side of that that we don't like and no one wants to address. And when we understand that, we repent. He hates sin. He wants us to have fellowship with him. And when we sin, that fellowship is broken. And we come back to him and confess, he brings us back into unity with him and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we're holy and right with him. And we can have fellowship with him. And we hate that we look at him as the judge, the jealous one, the one that does not want us to sin, but wants us to live a life that truly represents the one we worship. Remember the statement I said, we, we want to be who we worship. And if we truly worship God, we want our life to look and be just as his. So the first commandment was forbidding the existence of other gods. The second, the making of other gods. And so tonight I want you to reflect on whether you have material or mental idols in your life. Acknowledge it and repent. And pray for idol-free life so that the blessings will go to your future generations. That I don't make an image in my mind of who God is that's not based upon God's word and who he truly is all the way around. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we look tonight at the second commandment, Lord, and I pray that as you told the, the nation of Israel twice not to make images of gold, silver, but Lord, so many times the depth of it, we might even do it in our head and in our mind. And Lord, we truly don't want to know who you are. We don't search the scriptures. We don't search the life and look at Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that in our mind, we would not limit you to who you are. But Lord, even we recognize those that we want to, that you're righteous, you're holy, you're a judge. Lord, that would make us want to worship you even more and love you even more. Just as we do with the grace and the mercy, forgiveness, the salvation we've been shown. And Lord, we love you. We thank you that you showed us grace in giving us your word so that we can truly know who you are. As the nation of Israel just heard your voice, Lord, they saw the smoke, they saw the lightnings and the thunder. But God, we get to truly know who you are. They heard from the prophets, but Lord, we get to look back and see the life of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And Lord, we thank you for that grace you've shown us so that we can have a glimpse and know who you are. Thank you for our time tonight, Lord. I pray that you be with us as we go our separate ways. I pray that you be with us as we come back on Sunday. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>